Hello everyone, thanks for joining me today. Another edition of Beyond the Pulpit. I am extremely excited for today's discussion as we will be talking about fellowship. I believe fellowship is God's highest calling for every believer, every leader, regardless of who you are and what you do. I believe that when we go into fellowship with each other, when we are growing, when we're a part of a community, that God finds a great amount of rejoicing in this manner, not because of people simply exchanging who their beliefs or what they like, but simply because it takes intimacy to be able to have fellowship. It takes intimacy to be able to have fellowship. I've been meditating on this as the last couple of weeks. I've been in different conversations with people and I find myself really realizing that over the course of my life, some of the greatest memories that I have have always been in fellowship with those who I love. When I'm in fellowship with my peers, my friends, when I'm in fellowship with leaders, it all is connected to the place of exchange of relationships. You know, oftentimes we are in such a place where we lack intimacy that we don't want anybody to see our true colors. We don't want anybody to see who we really are. And most time, people who are not in fellowship, they're hiding. They're in a place where they would rather withdraw not to be seen. Of course, this can be traced to different parts of our lives, whether we were affected by mom, dad, our uncles. Perhaps if you have a shyness or you're an introvert, you have a higher withdrawal aspect because you have a low tolerance for interaction with people. But of course, inside of God's design, we have to learn to sanctify those aspects of our personality in order to be, be able to be a part of a community of believers. So I want to talk about that today because I believe that perhaps this can help to even help you overcome in some areas where you may be struggling to be really your true self with people. Now, there are so many people who find themselves in cycles of dysfunctions and brokenness simply because, again, there is a lack of intimacy. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness in comparison, then take my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one in one mind. That is an amazing description of fellowship. Really, it says that if you have any fellowship sharing in the Spirit, that you should have take the joy to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be one in the Spirit. That right there tells us that we need to have so much communion with each other. I love the way that Kevin Leal describes it. He says that having fellowship and having communion is taking something personal, something significant, something important and feeding it to the other person. And then the other person takes something personal, something significant, and they feed it to me. That's communion, to be able to share something that is significant with another person. And I think that one of the things that happens so many times is that because of cliques or trends or perhaps different models that are going around in the earth, that there is perhaps a broken perception of how we fellowship with one another. You know, if you look throughout the scriptures and the gospels and the epistles, the letters the apostles sent out to the, to the other 
churches in the regions, one of the consistent aspects is that you notice that God always established them in twos and threes and groups and tribes and communities. And so I believe that fellowship for us is extremely important to be able to carry out not just our assignment in the earth, but to be able to have that life that we desire to have. You know, we are designed to be inside of communities. That's why in Psalms 68 and 6, it says that God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but that the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. That's the New International Version, the NIV. And I really believe that that's a very powerful statement. The first part of that verse says that God sets the lonely in families. Now, why would God not leave them alone? Because inside of His design, God put us in families. He put us in tribes. He put us in communities. If you look at the 12 tribes, you look at how Abraham traveled in tents. When they were traveling in groups, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was always designed that it would be with a massive amount of people because inside of that community, you have different likes, you have different people. And because of God's blended family and community, we all have space to grow. Now, one aspect of community is that it doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are, because in the kingdom is designed to have every race, every tribe, every tongue, everything that's mixed, you live in God's blended family. And so what happens is that oftentimes inside of this place of fellowship where we are not fellowshipping with another, we're really hiding. We withdraw to different places. Now, of course, inside of this fellowship, you have different dynamics. You have different types of places. You have different types of things that you will do. And one of the things that I love about communities is that it's learnable. You can learn how to live inside of a community. If you're open, if you're not hiding, if you don't have any shame issues, or if you've been delivered, or if perhaps you're in this place that you're coming into a community and you don't know how to interact, you can learn how to interact with other peoples. You know, one of the things that I learned is that there's two ways of learning. You can learn by observation and you can learn by revelation. You can learn by observation and you can learn by revelation. Revelation defined in simple terms it's seeing for the first time what you've been looking at for a long time revelation is seeing for the first time what you've been looking at for a long time it's when you have that aha moment i discovered something i saw it and now i can apply it observation which is mostly people who are perhaps introverts will lean towards this part of observation. Why? Because you will observe what people like, what people don't like. You will observe what people perhaps makes them laugh, what makes them angry. And because of how introverts are designed, oftentimes they make references in their mind to save those notes and to perhaps find what they like. But the problem with that observation aspect of it is that you can only go so far because you're doing it by your intellect and your mind. You're not doing it by God's design. So I would encourage you, if you're an introvert, that if you're going to into a community or if you're looking or yearning to grow with a tribe, a group of people that you can recognize with, is that you have to do it by revelation. Why? Because inside of God's patterns, inside of God's family, inside of God, the way that God designed families to be established, when you see it by revelation, you are doing it inside of God's presence. When you do it by observation, it's not that you're not doing it by presence, but you're doing it by the things that you like. And so you'll never, perhaps you won't grow much, 
you won't develop much sensitivity to other people because when you do things by observation, you're basically playing it safe. You're going to connect to people that you like based on similarities. Now, that's amazing. And of course, in Philippians 2 and 1 and 2, it instructs us to be like-minded people. But when you are connected to somebody by God's design, by God's spirit, you are one and God begins to really detail you into how you should fellowship. And so again, this is learnable. Now, inside of fellowship, you have perhaps, like I said before, hundreds and thousands of dynamics. You have different types of people, different types of likes, different types of tastes and foods, musics. That's community. There's a variety and it's a blended family. And so I want to talk about three different voices that oftentimes live inside of communities. You have the voice of a parent, you have the voice of a brother and sister, and you have the voice of a child. Inside of those voices, you have different types of approaches, different type of people depending on your group of association, will interact with you different ways. Like I've interacted with lots of different tribes. I've interacted with Latinos because, of course, I'm half Hispanic and half Saudi Arabian. And so I've got a blended interaction of people. I work with Apostle Eckhart. And so my interaction for years there has been amongst African-American communities. And then, of course, there were several years that I traveled with different types of streams inside of the kingdom or different type of communities inside of the kingdom. And I interacted with many, many different tribes. And so one of the things that I have learned inside of this is that these three voices have always been present. The voice of a parent, the voice of a brother, and the voice of a child. And this is super, super important to understand because inside of those communities, you oftentimes can develop frustrations if eventually you'll start finding the negative aspects of it if you don't keep yourself in the light. But being in the spirit, being in fellowship is walking in the light. And so God, the enemy's greatest attack is to destroy you, to destroy your community, and to destroy your fellowship as a family, as God's blended family. So when you have these three natures, for example, you know, the scripture tells us, does my children know my voice? This is the gospel, so of course. So what does that mean? Have you ever been or remember when you were a kid, or if you're a kid now listening to this, perhaps, you know, when I was in El Salvador growing up, or perhaps when my mom would call me and my dad would call me, and because maybe dinner was served, there was the one voice. The initial voice was, dinner's ready, come in. And if I didn't come in because I was playing, there would be a higher tone that said, dinner's ready, come in. There was a third voice that began to call me by my name, Rodrigo, come in right now. And so that third voice oftentimes would get my attention because the voice of the parent caught my attention. And I said, okay, it's no longer playtime. I have to go inside and have my food. So oftentimes in relationships and fellowship, you have this voice of the parent that's manifested all throughout in not there's not one's higher than the other there's not one less than the other this is just my personal experience with this type of uh, communities that I've encountered so I really believe that this revelation can help to really bring clarity so oftentimes what happens to people that come 
into a community and they come with broken problems. They have the response of a broken person because they perhaps grew up with bad or an abusive relationship. They had dad who was rough, a mom who abused them verbally perhaps, or if you didn't grow up with parents, you had uncles or grandparents who were strong, legalistic. And what happened was that perhaps because of those reasons, oftentimes what takes the 10th place is that you will grow up without having perhaps the right response designed inside of you or awakened so you'll have rested development and so when you come into a community or fellowship with people that have the voice of a parent oftentimes what will happen is that the response of this individual will be three different type of responses to the voice of the parent now try to follow or write some notes because i know it's quite a bit so we have we're talking about right now the voice of a parent and the response to the voice of a parent oftentimes when it comes to even whether it's broken people or any type of resistance is there, is three, well, it's a variety of different responses, but I want to highlight four of the main of them. You will fight the voice of a parent, you will flight the voice of a parent, or you will have a victim approach to the voice of a parent. You know, there are three different type of internal voices that people oftentimes interpret this. That's the victim, the bully, and the real me. The victim, the bully, and the real me. But the responses, symptoms, or the outward behavior is to do this three categories. You fight, you put a resistance, you push back. So if there's a person who's correcting you and saying, hey, you cannot do this anymore, or you shouldn't be doing this, or perhaps there's this is the wrong way of doing it, or you've done this for such a long time, but in this place, you cannot do it that way. So what happens is with the initial response to the voice of the parent is the response of fighting. They will fight you back. They'll go into rebellion. They'll do things the opposite way that you want them to do it. And they'll begin to just have a galore of different dysfunctions manifest. But you cannot take it personal because that simply means that you are pushing a broken part of them that you're identifying and now you can help them as a parent heal and how to overcome now i want to make myself clear when i say the voice of a parent the voice of a child and when i say the voice of a brother and sister this does not have an age when we look at descriptions in Ephesians, it says that god divided his, himself into five natures in the body of christ apostle prophet teacher evangelist and pastor but inside of the family god divided himself so he can reveal himself into two natures and that is father and mother now being a father and being a mother is not an age is a nature i know many people that are in their 40s and 50s and do not have the nature of a father or a mother but i know people who are in their 20s their 30s that have the nature of a father more than the older people do now father and mother again is not an age is a nature so don't be fooled there are some people some adults that still manifest like little kids and so when this happens we really have to take attention to the whole scenario holistically we can't just look at it from the adult's perspective oftentimes what i found out is that there are people who perhaps the child says something if the child is perhaps not being rebellious sometimes what i've discovered is that the parent has a form of arrested development and the child's out has a, outgrown the adult and now you have to begin to learn how do you parent or how do you become your dad's dad or your mom's mom you know in my own scenario there are many cases that i just look at different people in my life and i'm just like man 
I feel like I'm parenting this person. And God goes like, duh, because you are. Because I have discovered that there is a father nature that God has given me for that specific person or for this specific reason. Or I've just developed it because of what God has discovered inside of me. I found out that, or what I have discovered inside of God, I'm sorry. I've discovered that God is a father and that the initial place that every gift flows out of is father and mother. And unless you can't see it that way, then your perceptions about ministry, family will be broken. That's just not a God. That's not Rodrigo's opinion. When you look at the scriptures, God's design that every gift flows out of that nature. You can be an apostle. You can be the most anointed prophetic person. You can have extremely accurate words of knowledge. But unless your nature is of a father and of a mother, you will have a broken perception of ministry. Now, let's get back to this, but I wanted to emphasize that because oftentimes this is what happens. You have that fight response in the voice of a parent. That person will fight you. They will rebel against you. They will have different types of opinions about you. They may run up to other friends and start talking bad about you. And that's okay. Again, don't take it personal. It may hurt you. It develop perhaps despair inside of you. But you can begin to talk yourself into a coaching mechanism where you're basically saying, okay, like this has happened to me before where I am discipling people and I really can see the capacity inside of them. I can see where God is taking them. And I just get into a place of like, Lord, how much longer are we going to have this conversation? Two weeks will go by and they'll people will just manifest. They'll not talk. They'll communicate. They'll be fighting. They'll be bickering. They'll be putting resistance against my counsel or my voice of wisdom or whatever you want to call it. And I will begin to get like, Lord, you know, I can't do this. But I have to look and be realistic about their history. What, you know, are they putting their daddy and mommy issues on me. And once I recognize that, it really helps me to begin to develop clarity and say, okay, this is not against me. This is their response based on their teenage years or their infant years and how they behave and they were never corrected. And so you can begin to just approach it in different ways. So when you realize that that parent voice is having a response that's negative, Oftentimes, you can switch to that brother-sister voice that says, Hey man, how can we help fix this? How can we help to amend this? Or how can we help to navigate through the season? Or how can we help you to adjust or to recognize what it is that's happening? Now, why do I say it that way? You have to add the we in there. Especially for high melancholic people that are highly emotional. Why is that? Because if people are in this place or in this scenario where they're just simply rebelling against the voice of a parent, if you add the we in there, it makes it a team effort. It makes it that, yes, we have that shared responsibility to see your future come to pass, to see your goodness and the goodness of God manifest in your life. And so that's really important because it'll help you to understand how to deal with those people. And that really oftentimes I've found out that that helps. People identify everything oftentimes unfortunately, through their emotions. And oftentimes, we have really emotional people. And it's okay to have those. Now, emotions should be balanced. You know, you can still balance and manage your emotions. You can still control them. You should not, your emotions should not control you. You should be able to balance your emotions by the Spirit of God. Pray the peace of God. Pray the Word of God. Confess that you would have a balanced personality, a balanced emotions. And so, really, this will help to understand what is that? Now, the second response that I said to any of those, to the voice of the parent, mainly for now, is flight. 
What do I mean by that? Many people will withdraw. They'll just go into hiding. If you correct them once, they'll go into hiding and they'll take their time to come out of their cave and their emotional you know, cycles of dysfunctions. And eventually they may come back a little bit. It'll, may t- it'll take them a little bit of time. But you can't be moved. You have to stay consistent. You know, one of the things that I learned is that whenever you are a believer and you perhaps backslide, let's just say you just left the church because you were mad at God, God does not change the lesson. He just changes the teacher. So the next time you walk into church and maybe four or five years from now, God will be, and as I was saying, God begins the conversation with you where you left off. And so it has to be the same thing when we have that parent voice that's manifesting and the response is flight that says that, oh, I can't do this. I'm going to just leave. It's fine. Let them manifest for a couple of days, however long it takes. Be persistent. You be stable. You be consistent. And once they begin to come back, you continue the conversation. But now that you know that the parent voice is triggering them, you can approach them as a brother or have that, hey man, we can eat. We need to talk about this. How can we do it? You know, take them out to a lunch. This is really insightful for developing teams and helping people and just anything in general. If you're going to be in fellowship, you're going to have this type of, of, of manifestations. Now, the third response is a response that oftentimes can be hard to deal with. And I just cited because, man... It's rough, but it's okay. You have the response of a victim. And this specific response can simply come out basically from anybody. Parents, brothers, child, whatever voice comes out of. Oftentimes, this voice helps you recognize that the person you're dealing with, if they're 40 or 50, is a child. Because they stopped responding like an adult and they started responding like a child. And so what happens is that this the voice that comes whining, that comes like, oh, but they did this to me, but you did this to me, but you didn't text me, you didn't you didn't reach out to me to tell me you love me, you didn't you didn't come out and you didn't you could have came over to my house and found me and you know, at the end of the day, if they're an adult, you have to remind them. I don't have to do this for you. You are an adult. You should be able to assimilate to your age or at least begin to respond and be conscious of it. If the victim mentality is ingrained inside of that believer or person, it really takes a little bit longer for them to come out of it because they've spent so much time inside of their mind creating scenarios that are not real. They're not realistic. They're just, they have a false narrative going on themselves. And when they come back to you, they tell you a story that is not even real. And you're just sitting there and saying, Lord, how did you even come to this conclusion? But that's because they've had an internal conversation. They've talked themselves out of reality into that victim mentality. And so really those three responses can help you to identify where a person is at. Now the child voice, one of the things that I have learned is that children if they are grown in a good environment or if they have people around that love them, children have that intimacy and they have that correct nature inside of them. They haven't been, they still haven't lost their innocence. There you go. Thank you, Holy Ghost. They haven't lost their innocence. And because they haven't lost their innocence, their voice oftentimes carry that purity. And so there are so many times that God will use children and they'll say something and something will happen and it will be like, wow, I, I got that because my child spoke to me. I mean, many of you, if you have spirit-filled children, if they're in the, above the age of five, you will begin to tell that their words carry power. And so you can be amazed at this. Now, I want to show you this in the scriptures. So when you look at the life of Paul, 
and he was instructing Timothy. He was Paul was instructing Timothy as a father. He was saying, Timothy, don't do this. Timothy, do this. Timothy, when he was giving him instruction about the call in his life, he said, don't let people do this to you. When Paul was instructing Timothy, there were so many times in the books of Timothy that you can see that Paul had that care, the paternal care for Timothy. And Timothy as a son knew how to respond because there was that grace that said, okay, I'm connected to you. I have to yield your instructions. And then of course you have the book of Proverbs. That really Proverbs is a letter of a son to a father giving him instruction. Don't hang around this type of people. Don't 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 mess with those who are thieves. You know, that's the voice of wisdom coming through a son's concern for from a father's perspective. And of course, you have Jesus when he said, my children know my voice. So I hope that this brought some clarity and perhaps some help to you. Because, you know, of course, we know that people who hang around the wrong people, they can disrupt your habits. That's just in scripture. In the book of Corinthians, it says that bad company corrupt good habits. Now, what is that, why is that so important? Because if you're in the wrong type of fellowship, you're not walking in the light. You're walking in the darkness. If you can look at First John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says, I'm going to read it right now. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out of the truth. So look at that. If you have claimed to have fellowship with him and you're walking in the darkness and you can't, you're not living out the truth. Sorry if you hear my dog. We have a guest coming in the house. But if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies you from all sin. If we claim to be bound with sin, we deceive ourselves that the truth is not in us. So you really have to claim that if I'm walking in the spirit, if I'm walking in light, then God is with you. And so I really pray that this helped you, that this brought some clarity and perhaps leave a review. Let me know any comments that you may have, any questions that you may have, because God's light God's fervency, God's power is with us and it'll help to bring us into a place of stability. So we'll talk again next week and I pray that God's grace and God's favor and mercy is with you as you discover fellowship for the future. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Love you much, guys.